0: You're Going to Die, the podcast, is brought to you by YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit bringing diverse communities creatively into the conversation of death and dying, inspiring life by unabashedly sourcing our shared mortality. To find out more, visit www.yg2d.com.
1: If you're feeling anything like what it feels to me to be alive right now, navigating all the things both personally and globally going on in the world, I hope this podcast offers you just what you need. And can you hear it? My nose is stuffed. Yes, I was just crying. I think what I'm noticing right now is when I'm on social media, I'm noticing like I need it, how upsetting everything is. And I hope if You're Going to Die is doing anything for you, it's doing what I think I get out of it, which is being with what's uncomfortable. That is part of it. It's about facing what's hard. And that's been something I'm really, really feeling going on social media. And, and, I, and I think it's important. I think it's important to face what's hard. I think that's what we're about here with our organization. It's about turning to what's hard. It's not just about that, but that is something that it's about. And it is about connecting with others and remembering you're not alone. And what I love about this conversation with Andy, the door bum, is that I got a moment like that during a time where I need it more than ever, because what also can happen when I'm on social media with the inclination to just keep looking at the next reel, the next horrific post, the next triggering reality, really getting present, not just by the way to my own death, which I feel is obviously so important for what we do, but what it means to get present to how other people are dying in the world. That is hard. And that is necessary necessary. And coupling that, absolutely, we need to be able to find moments to connect with community, calling our friends, calling our Jewish friends, calling our Palestinian friends, calling our community and being with them, listening and remembering we're not alone and reflecting and connecting and learning. Oh, we need that. Like the event we just had last week, we held so much of the personal grief people are experiencing and excavated it for meaning and gratitude and joy. And we held room for the big, big grief, the complex grief of what's going on globally. And we sang together and that felt so needed for me. And I believe in that so much. And when I call someone and I have a meaningful talk going through so much right now, all of us, it matters to have those points of connectedness. And that's what this conversation with Andy the Doorbum offered me. That's enough of an intro. And I hope you listening to us talk gives you a bit of that too. Oh, and hi, this is Ned Buskirk, your host of You're Going to Die, the podcast. Andy the Doorbum is a musician, visual and performance artist, and poet from North Carolina by way of rural Pennsylvania. He has shared his art and music in 22 countries to date and is a completely independent DIY operation. In a live setting, he presents a visual theatrical performance embodying a world both strange and surreal. At once somber and uplifting, taking the observer through a string of emotions from cathartic and inspiring to completely unsettling. He has a new album out now centered around the process of grief entitled Of Tears No Amount Can Quench Mouths Maimed by Drought. I hope you enjoy this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast
0: with Andy the Doorbum. I only really want to I know that my time is my most valuable resource and I only want to spend it doing things with intention that are meaningful to me. And uh, I mean, most of my artistic practice is a a lot of time spent for no financially lucrative uh, good reason, you know, uh, (laughs) other than to feel more fulfilled and to feel like I'm putting things into the world that I can look, if I'm lucky enough to be someone lying in a bed Dying at the end of my life and looking back on it, uh, these are the things that I'll hold on to because money uh, won't exist then.
2: <laughs> mm, yes. <laughs> you
1: <know>? Right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'll only I totally... have uh, the experiences that I had that I put my time and effort into, and um, I won't think about how much money they made me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I relate to that, and I've been thinking about that a lot. What a great place to
1: start! But just to just to know you as a person who's committed to life in that way, um, and know that it's hard, and that there's room to acknowledge that uh, for sure. Sure, but. Feeling lately, it's so obvious, but just, and sorry for anybody listening who like works for Coca-Cola, but just these, these careers and work in the world that are lucrative definitively and serve these big machines and capitalism and do not tend to a deathbed and how one might feel at the end of life there. And to think, like none of that fucking shit is has done any good, really. It's not working, you know. Like those career paths yeah. and that amount of money making and those pursuits and that "quote unquote" version of success, it's so blatantly obvious that it's like killing the planet and killing people. And and I mean, I can I feel like I can say that very blatantly, you know. Um, and yeah. so I guess it's like not a question as much as an acknowledgement, or in a way that I relate as much as my wife might sometimes wish I had a much more lucrative career path (laughs) Um, you know I feel the same way you know I just want to get to my deathbed and think oh yeah I did all those things and they matter so much to me what money (laughs)
0: yeah yeah I mean like I said you know time is the it's the one thing of value that we possess and we can't have we can't get more of it we can't buy more of it Uh, we're constantly running out and the only thing we can decide to do is trade it for other things. And we can, it makes perfect sense. I think that people have to trade it working a job. They don't like for money to survive. Like of course, uh, or for luxuries that they want to make them feel comfortable. But um, I'm much happier personally uh, having very little in the way of possessions and money and trading my time for experiences that uh, are fulfilling and that I can believe in and that I can be proud of. And I can look back and say like, I did, the very best I could with the time that I had. Uh, and that never, ever ends up being doing something that I hate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like working you can at a trust job that. that I don't like, you know, yeah. like I would rather be very poor and mm-hmm. uh, pursuing things that I love that have meaning mm-hmm. um, because you can't, there's no dollar value for those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's incredibly important. And, you know, and I'm incredibly fortunate to have the option to do that. Yeah. You know, um, that privilege and it's a privilege. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I'm a ver- yeah. And I, and I would ne- you know, I have to acknowledge that. Uh, but if I have that ability, like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that. And I'm going to spend and use that to try to uplift other people, uh, as much as I can as well, you know, like, um, because we're all in it together, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, if something that I do can lead to an enriching experience for someone else, that's—I would trade that. I would not trade that for a million dollars. Yeah, because a million dollars means nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, those experiences mean something. Connecting with people in that way means way more than a million dollars ever would. Oh. Have you always felt like pretty clear about that, Andy? And and but maybe just a quick pit stop
1: here to ask you a mm-hmm. question that's so lame and you can be like, that's lame. I'm so bored of that. I don't want to talk about it, but I'm just calling you Andy and and I'm assuming you wouldn't want me to call you Andy the door bum. But I just feel like there yeah. needs to be acknowledgement for your artist name that feels like a name. Uh, uh, it's a name for how you're in the world you know, it's not. It, it's like when I have Andy the doorbell on "You're Going to Die" the podcast. It feels like it's acknowledging your wholeness. Do you relate to that, or is there not more to say about the name?
0: Uh, I, I mean, I, I relate to it in, in some sense, but my name is Andy. You know, um, and <laughs> yeah, the name came from when I was 20 years old. I worked at a um, this old punk rock club named the Milestone in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I didn't brush my hair and I was at the door seven nights a week. And I lived in the venue upstairs illegally, like in an attic that I had to push a ladder up to crawl up into because I didn't have the, any money. Mm-hmm. Um, and people just started calling me a door bum instead of a door guy or a door person. Or, <laughs> yeah, um, that's amazing. And when it came, and I recorded my first record on a four track while I was working the door, and I had to stop it all the time because people were coming in. <laughs> needing wristbands and when it came time to try to s- burn cds and sell it to people i just thought well andy the Doorbum is what people call me so if i put that on the record they'll know who it is that's great um but i think about it now you know and i you know uh my art has changed a lot since then of course because i've gotten older and i've had more experiences and gotten a little better i think at it um with time and in some ways, though, I, I do think about it, and like I do, still feel really attached to it because it it's it's where I'm from. In some ways, it pays homage to my beginnings, but also, you know, um, songs are like doors into other yes. worlds, you yeah. know, and, and into minds and experiences. And I think about it too. My last name is actually Fenstermacher, uh, which means window maker in German, <laughs> what? and. uh songs are all you're all the portals (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, totally yeah and uh yeah i'm 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 into it (laughs) yeah me too
1: (laughs) so glad to ask that because i mean i'm sure in other interviews it's it maybe it's sort of a, a tiresome question but it feels good to actually start there that's the entry point Another portal. Yeah. Yeah. It's a portal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, yeah, I don't mind. I,
0: I love talking about that.
1: Yeah. I want to second that uh, sentiment. You said to start, well, yeah, it's a part of my past. And that's a good reason maybe to hold on to it. Um, but wondering about the way you're an artist in the world now, that's obviously going to be very different from that time and who you were then. But immediately I was wanting to like, it's good that you got there, but I was just wanting to say like, this is your work as an artist is entry. It's, it's, it's invitation, you know, it's it's a
0: way in. Yeah. I think all art is that way. Mm. You know, it's a, it's an invitation into a different perspective and into a, a, a place where, you know, you can have a really specific intention when you make something artistically and then it becomes something for someone else that might be very different, but it's a point of connection. It's like a place where you get to meet, uh, with other people and everyone gets to decide their own meaning in it. And you all get to be in that same place and share your meanings, uh, together. And like, that's a, what an amazing thing, you know? Um, what an honor and a privilege to get to do it. And what an honor and a privilege that people give it enough time to share that experience with you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's unreal. Um, You know, when I was a 14 year old kid dreaming about doing this in a trailer park, uh, I didn't think these things were possible. I didn't think you you were thinking then
1: Andy, like 14. Do you, do you remember that as a specific time when you were imagining being creatively in the world in this way? Because that was what I was going to ask is, did you always relate to the, what do you, you know, and not to trivialize it, but you you talked about being on your deathbed and looking back at the work of your life, the content of your life um, and feeling gratitude and um, satisfaction. And yeah, I wonder, have you always related to the endeavor in that way? Is it part of like why you started creating? And was that the time? Were you that young when you thought, this is what I want to do?
0: Yeah, I might might have even been younger. Um, I just created as an impulse since I was a kid. You know, when I was not even old enough to write, I used to draw things and I would have my grandmother write stories down that I would tell her so that I could make books because I couldn't write. You know, I wasn't old enough to write. And as soon as I got my parents, my mom got a little boom box with a built-in microphone, I started to record songs. I think I was nine. Uh, and I had stuffed animals, and I would make little voices for them, and I would bang on a cake pan and make guitar noises with my mouth because I couldn't play anything. But I was I was writing songs, you know? Um, and, yeah, I guess around the time when I was 14, I think I got a guitar. My dad bought me a guitar. And, I yeah, I think I knew very early on, because we were very poor, I knew early on that... Um, there weren't a lot of options for me and what I was going to be able to do in the world. Just from an economic standpoint, you know, like I wasn't going to go to college. I wasn't going to do anything other than work the shit job. You know, like that's what my family did. Um, and I think, yeah, I, at some point I realized like creativity is like the best thing that I could give the world. It's the best thing I could do. It's the best way I could exist in it. And in that way I could make some small world for myself That didn't matter if I was poor living in a trailer park, you know, like, um, those things would become irrelevant if I could make a convincing enough world for myself to live in through songs or through drawings or, um, and yeah, I never had any delusions of grandeur about it, you know, that I would become famous or any of that. I just wanted to figure out a way to do it and find people who might care about it, um, in the same way that I did to share it with. What was the first ver? I'm thinking like your grandma, but
1: like, what was the first version of you creating something and having someone be the recipient of it? You know, and, and it's, it feels special to like acknowledge that element in your work. And, and I think most creatives, you know, it's, it's a huge part of it for most creatives, but it feels important to stop there. Right. Cause I'm thinking when you started having these ideas and you went to your grandma, was she the one that lit up first?
0: I think I was so young, I don't actually remember. I just have these things in her forever box that she gave that was left to me when she died, these books that I made uh, and that she obviously wrote. And then, you know, I talked to my mom about it and she told me that mm. that's what that's what those were. And I, I don't even remember them because I was so young. I must have been two or three years old, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just don't remember it at all. Um, but, you know, I made cassette. Uh, I made probably 10 to 15 albums in my bedroom on a cassette 4-track and never showed them to anybody. I was just making them Mm, for fun when I was a teenager. And I think in uh, junior high or high school, uh, some friends and I played in the talent show, and we played a cover song. But uh, I remember getting in the car with my mom afterwards and saying, like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. He said it out loud. Yeah. Uh, and she remembers it as well. And she, she encouraged me, you know, because she was like, mm. why not? Well, like, what's the, like the shit job is not going anywhere. Like, and you, that's the path that you're on. Like, that's the path we all, like, that's what our family does. Like we graduate high school or we drop out of high school and we work a shit job until we die. You know, like that. we don't retire. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what we do. She was like, and that's not going anywhere. So why not shoot for it? Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? You'll fail and have to come work the shit job that you were already (laughs) going to work. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) why would you not try, you know? Uh, So I did and somehow made it into a life that's not like a lucrative one, you know, and it's not, I still have to work jobs uh, to pay my rent and stuff. But um, I get to spend the vast majority of my time doing what I love. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it pays for itself, at least, which is, in my mind, absolutely success. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to acknowledge
1: you're like, I can be poor, you know, as long as I'm doing these things that I love. But also, I wanted to add the, like, enoughness to, to have enough. That's you know, you That's have enough, enough yeah. especially like maybe even more than that to have your work be taking care of itself, at least paying for itself. Um, it's huge. Feels like hugely significant. Yeah. And and it huge. feels important to be like, yeah, there's people in the world that have to work and, you know, and, and, and to take care of family and like your parents, you know, um, they had to pay the bills, you know, and, and yeah. raise you. And, and it wasn't an option to go and, and, and start an art project or make music or whatever else. I know it's, it's, it's sort of a silly reference, but it really sticks with me. And it's Jim Carrey talking about his dad who was in an accountant, but he was a really talented, I guess, jazz musician or something. And how he just didn't do that because he needed to do the accounting work and he totally failed at accounting. And who knows if this is true or not. I mean, I kind of believe Jim Carrey saying like, this is how it was. And when he saw that, he, he, thought, well, wait, am I going to choose this shit job? Like you said, and maybe fail at that, or at least try to do the thing that I love with all my heart and see where it goes, you know, and what, ha- what happens. And maybe yeah, sometimes I have to work random jobs to keep doing it. And I totally yeah. relate to that. I and mean, I wouldn't be here without that perspective. And a lot of other influences, like talking with you, part of my journey to you here right now in this moment is, is a lot of that. It's like, I can't stop doing this. Cause I can't stop thinking about it. And there is always a new door that emerges because of that. And like, I had to wait tables for, you know, over a decade of my life to, to, to keep doing
0: some of these things I love, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, my family was musical, uh, very musical. And they, when they had downtime, like that's very much what they did. Uh, would, you know, the family would get together and, and sing songs and play you know, old time songs, old traditional ballads, and things, and, and sing them. Um, so the love was there, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm so glad that I've figured out the lesson pretty early on of just um, I'd rather uh, I'd rather uh, barely survive off of doing what I love than <laughs> thrive uh, doing something that I you know I, I dread every day, and uh, and then at the end, either way, I die. Yeah. No matter either way, I die. Either way, I die at the end, Uh, and my time has run out. You know, my time is quickly running out. Always, because who knows when that happens? Um. So yeah, like I'm, I don't want to waste any of this because uh, for for all I know, and for all anyone knows, regardless of what they believe, this is it. You know, like we don't get, we know that we have right now. It's the only guarantee. We have this moment and how we spend it is incredibly important what we trade it for is incredibly important um and you know i lament the people in my family who got up every day and did something that they dreaded uh until they died they just did it their entire lives and then they died at the end uh they didn't get there was no reward at the end i mean they took care of their family and i value that sacrifice very much but there was no retirement. There was no, I don't know. There's not a single person in my family that has not worked until they died. That's what they've all done. Um, and bless them for it. You know, like I'm here because of that. Yeah. But I wish some of them could have had a little more time mm. to do what they love, you know. Uh, <laughs> right. And if and because I do have it and I figured out a way to like barely make it work there's no way I'm not doing it. There's <laughs> yeah. no way I'm giving it up. You know, I'm the, they, I owe it to them as much mm-hmm. as to myself to, to have that's figured right. it out. That's you right. Know? You know, cause I guess that's a really sweet way of acknowledging like you're here
1: because of those sacrifices. You know, I think about my mom and similar, you know, similar ways, her being a single mom and needing to take care of my sister and I, and, my first response to what you were sharing, thinking of her is like, I didn't fucking ask her to do that. Like, you know, there's part of me that really like felt influenced by her depression and unhappiness because of waking up and and living a life like you just described, you know, right. The slog, just dreading yeah. it, but getting it done. and and so that first response for me is like, I just wish, I wish, wish, wish like during those early years, she would have made a decision to go and pursue A different kind of life of meaning with us, you know, but, but also to be fair, she was just making do and figuring it out how she could. And that, and that's, that's a fact, right? I mean, that's just how it was. Um, and I wouldn't be here without her having done that. And so this is like, I owe her that. And I know I feel her pride, you
0: know? Um, now I do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel it from my parents too, and my, mm. you know, my mom and dad divorced when I was very young. Uh, Me too. And my my dad was um, kind of hard to be around a lot because he had a lot of uh, addiction problems and anger problems and things. But I I saw it occasionally. He wasn't one to talk about being proud of his children, but I saw it when I would go visit, and his friends would come over. And he would say, this is my boy, the one I was telling you about. He travels all over the world playing music, doing what he loves. And that was, he would brag a little bit about it. And I could tell, like, he's proud of me. You know, like, I I know that he is. I can tell Mm -hmm. because... Otherwise, he would not be saying this right now. Mm-hmm. That would not yeah. be the first thing that he mentioned when he introduced me to someone. Yeah. And just the
1: like, this is who I was telling you about, right? I mean, just sure. Maybe even especially when you're younger yeah. and you first hearing that and being like, oh man, like what's even saying? I just, my dad, I, similar stuff with my dad. Um, and like, <laughs> His relationship to me doing this work with death and dying and you're going to die, you know, he's just been very clear, like for some reason, just not into it and doesn't understand it. Um, So I can only imagine a moment that I've never had where. He would say to someone else, like, this is who I've been telling you about, you know? And then to have it yeah. like in a nutshell, he's doing what he loves. Like that, that's feels like so much to get out of also, by the way, like for all the things you'd want from the work you do to be creative, it'd be have a
0: parent be like, I'm proud, you know? Yeah. My mom my mom has been unquestionably proud and Sounds like and, it. Uh mm. the my entire life. I can't say enough about about her and her support uh, still to this day, very supportive of me. But my dad also chastised me a lot. Like when I got into punk rock, when I was younger, he didn't like it uh, and he's seen some of the pictures of the costumes and things and he did not understand it and did not Mm -hmm. seemingly think it was a good idea, you know? Um, But I remember one time he did say to me, because he was very rebellious when he was young, But he very much as an adult wanted things, wanted people to do things the way he thought they should. And I never did that. And I think eventually he did come see a show where he and my brother surprised me one time. And I was really nervous because I had the costume and stuff. And I thought, he's going to hate this. He's going to hate it. Uh, And he, he saw it. And the only thing he said to me after it, he came up and he said, I'm glad you never listened to me. Oh my! And I think what he was realizing was that I was a lot like him. It was like, I'm going to be me. And I don't care what you say about it. You know, like I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And, and I got that from him, you know, like I got it very much from him. Yeah, And I think that was the one moment he didn't say he was proud. He didn't say he liked it. He just said, I'm glad you never listened (laughs) to me. That's incredible. You know, I mean, for sure. (laughs) Best compliment he could have given me, honestly, you know,
1: uh, I, I get the possibility and, and I, I get that you're saying what he was communicating was you're like me. Um, yeah, but also for sure he was acknowledging like I was keeping you. I, I was I was sharing opinions about what you're up to that would have kept you from what I just saw. and
0: I'm oh, clear yeah. now that it needed to happen. you know that's yeah. huge. That's huge. It's huge. It's yeah. huge. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's the the closest thing to a compliment I ever got from the old man.
1: <laughs> I can feel. I can feel how inclined we are sometimes. I don't know if you're this way in the world, but it's like how many times I'm talking about what my dad never gave me. Meanwhile, my mom was there the whole time, supporting me yeah. the whole way, for sure, believing in me it, 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 beyond what I even feel like I've accomplished like I think she had ideas about where I could be which by the way is a lot of pressure but also she, that's how much she believed in, in me and supported me so I could sense maybe in this too it's like your mom though it's like your dad gave you one line at the end of a plane we're spending all this time focusing on that and like your mom all of the way all along all like, the way she you. deserves
0: all the credit yeah. she deserves every bit of the all credit the for who I am as all the compliments all the pride <laughs> totally What's I mean, your mom's but the name? thing is I, her name is Debbie. Okay. Um, and she's incredible. I think the only reason that, uh, I don't, I don't want to gloss over any of her support, but she, all the things that she did, it's like, of course I turned out this way. Um, and with my dad, it's like, I, I got the few things from him, like took the few good nuggets from his personality, like his fierce independent streak and his like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be me. And if you don't like it, I don't care. You oh know, gosh, yeah. uh, I got those from him. And it's like, I feel like I, the reason I focus on those sometimes is because like, I got that despite him a little bit, you know, like, because he was, uh, he was, he could be a very toxic person, you know, and he was, a, um, you know, there's a lot of turmoil. Uh, he had a lot of, a lot of demons and, um. Yeah, you know, but um, so do a lot of people. And he, but there were some glimmers in him that uh, that very much also made me who I am. You know, if if it weren't yeah. for that, and I guess I bring him up a lot too because you know, this record that I uh, recently put out was a lot of it was um, related to his death process and mm-hmm. that process of like, you know, he didn't do a lot in life to earn me giving a shit. About him in the end, to be honest, Uh, you know, I think a lot of other people in my position may have could have easily approached that and said like, "Whatever, you're dying, you know, like it's too late." Uh, And I couldn't do that. Um, I want. I thought about it, and I thought if I had had so much turmoil in my life and so many demons, and had had faltered so much, um, I would want to be treated with love in the end. And so I, I did, you know, my brother called me and said, hey, if I know you talked a couple years ago about coming and taking dad out West because he always dreamed of going out West. He was like, you, the the cancer's not doing good. If you really want to do that, you should do it really soon. He was like, no pressure, but if you were serious, and I did. I hopped in the car. My partner at the time let me take the car, and I brought my dog, and I picked I drove from Los Angeles to Pennsylvania and I picked him up and drove him all the way to Montana and Wyoming and back over two weeks. And, um, you know, cause I would want someone to do that for me, you know? Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. I would want someone to do that for me and I, and I had the means to do it. Uh, and it's honestly the most amount of time I ever spent with my dad. I never spent two weeks with my dad uninterrupted, just the two of us. That never in my life. Never. Happened. Right. Yeah. Right. Never. Uh, and he actually because of his esophageal cancer couldn't really drink that much so he was the it was he was actually sober the whole time and and he was I mean he was like a 30 pack of bush beer a day oh my gosh since he was like 14 years old I never knew holy him not, shit. not drunk and when he was drunk he was mean mm-hmm. um and I just I think back on it, it's like, yeah, I did that because I wanted to show up for him. But also like, I'm so glad I did because I actually feel like I got to know him in the end in a way that I never would have. If I had just held that resentment in me for the things that he had done in my life, uh, but that only would have hurt me. It wouldn't have hurt him because he was going to die and he was going to be gone. And if I had held on to that to the end and not let go of it and just showed up with love, it would have eaten at me, I would have paid yeah, for that. that's all you and him. Got. Yeah, you're right. He wouldn't have paid. And I'm so glad that I did. You know, I'm so glad I did. And then when he started to really fade, I'm so glad I went and sat with him for three weeks at his bedside. I'm so glad I was sleeping on the floor in the bedroom when he died in his bed. You know, like I'm so grateful. Uh so grateful that I could show it for him in that way, but also that I could show it for myself in that way. Because I will never regret that. And I would have easily regretted not doing that when I could have.
1: amazing five-star review. I mean, <laughs> do you have a choice? I guess you could skip this part, but I just want to read one review. And this is a lovely thing for me to get in our Apple podcast ratings and reviews. And I'm using it as a way to say, hey, it's special when we get words And ratings. It matters a ton, obviously, when someone clicks five stars, but especially it's wonderful when someone says, here's a little bit of the story behind why this podcast matters to me. So before I read this, this is one of those moments when I say, do you want to support more of this podcast being in the world? The simplest, easiest thing you can do is rate and review the show. So go into your podcast app while I read you this review Go into your podcast app and rate and review the show. It matters. Those numbers matter. They're visible. We get them. They are sustenance for us, but also other people are reading those. They're seeing the podcast is getting listened to, that it matters. So take this moment while you're listening to this free podcast, take the next minute of our time together and rate and review the show, and I'll read you this review real quick. Okay, five stars. This is from More Adventurous. The title, thank you, OBGYN. (laughs) I come to the You're Going to Die podcast by way of the in-person You're Going to Die open mic events by way of my gynecologist. LOL, yes, you read that right. While getting a gynecological exam, my doctor saw that I was reading the book From Here to Eternity by Caitlin Doty Check out Caitlin and Order of the Good Death. Quick shout out. And thus began our enthusiastic conversation about our shared fascination with learning about death and death practices. This led to her remembering these open mic events she had once attended pre-pandemic. She wondered if the events were still happening and did a quick Google search only to discover there was one happening two days later. I bought tickets and went, fell in love, and the rest is history. I learned about the podcast at that first event I attended and kept coming back because of all the awesome guests Ned has on the show. Thank you for all the work you do, YG2D. Yes, thank you. More adventurous. Yes, we are YG2D, a 501c3 nonprofit. That is what's bringing you. You're going to die the podcast. So when you do rate and review the show, you don't just support the podcast. You support more of what we're up to in the world with our nonprofit. And that includes prison programming, hospice programming. It includes cancer patient work. It includes grief and healing workshops. It includes our events. It includes our scholarships to support those people who need financial support to participate in what they need. Our goal is to get you what you need. We hope this podcast is what you need. Thank you, More Adventurous, for putting words to why it matters. And thank you for listening. Did you rate and review the show yet? Okay. I'm going to give you a little bit more time before we get back into the conversation. Okay, so you can go and you can rate and review the show. How have you not done this yet? How have you not already done this? I'm buying you so much time. It's just, just do it. Please.
0: Pretty please. And thank you. you know, I think it's, it's one of those things. And I think maybe making art has taught me those lessons in life that, um, you know, you make art, it it feels incredibly validating and, uh, like it's a, it's a huge part of the experience to get to share it with other people and then sharing, connecting with them through it. But at the core, you know, like I said, when I was a teenager, I made a, a dozen or more albums in my bedroom for myself. I'd never showed them to anyone. Um, so at its core, at its genesis, you do the thing for yourself. Uh, and I think, you know, like altruism is the same way. Like a lot of people do a lot of really great things for other people, that, but they're definitely also doing it to make themselves feel good about existing in the world. You know, there's no there's no way around it. We have an ego, you know, like and as much as we might try to, destroy that or like overcome it, there is always the self that wants to feel like they're doing the good thing or the, the, the best thing, you know, like yeah, whatever that, that is, or, Yeah, the thing right. that matters. Mm-hmm. So at the Genesis, like you have to acknowledge, I think like, right. Like going to be with my dad. It's like, yeah, I did that for my dad. I did that for my family. I did it for me too, you know, um, mm-hmm. of course. Because I didn't want to look back on this dwindling window of time, and regret not being there when I knew I could be there, and I didn't want to look back at the end of my life and think like, "I wish yeah, you'll never regret that." I You're wish I had regret. treated him the way I want to be treated right, right now. You know. Right. Um. Yeah. 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 Why not? No why would you not? Why would you <laughs> yeah. not? Why would you not do that? The bridge and I'm so grateful that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, me too. And
1: I'm feeling it as the, as the that acknowledgement as a bridge into that album to really talk about the album. And can you can you tell me your dad's name?
0: His name is Aaron Fenstermaker. Fenstermaker. Uh, depends on how you want to pronounce it. When did he die? He died uh, two days before Christmas in 2019. Um... I had the record, the record was pretty much done then. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, I started it uh, when I knew he was dying, you know, because I had about a year of dealing with he's probably going to die, you know, because he was diagnosed with cancer. And there were several moments that looked like maybe it was gone and then it came back. And uh, it's not actually what ended up killing him, um, but... I had a year to grapple with the fact that he was probably going to die soon. Um, and, you know, the album starts off with this field recording when I first went home and he had just found out that he had cancer and he was talking to his sister and he says, you know, he's essentially talking about dying. Uh, and i voyeuristically recorded it because uh, I do that a lot. I just carry a field recorder around and record things. And, Went back at some point and found this recording of him saying, you know, uh, people want to think there's something better when you die. And he was angry. He's like, people want to think there's something better when you die. There ain't nothing better. You better make it better right now because it ain't going to get no better. You better do it while you're on earth, while you can. If you don't, you're the fool. And... Uh, I was floored when I heard oh that. And I remember being yeah. being there and thinking like, he had just found out like he's probably going to die. And that's why I put it at the beginning of the record, you know? Um I was like, what a, what a, yeah, like absolutely, you know? Uh, oh and, my like, gosh, and so many yeah. of the songs were about dealing with that process of grief, you know? And, um, and it morphed also over time uh, because, you know, right before... He died. He told my brother and I, uh, I remember him really clearly saying, boys, this world is about to go to hell and I'm glad I'm not going to be here to see it. And he died and two months later, the pandemic hit. Mm. And then all of the, the uprisings for equality and social justice and you know all these, the world just kind of like started to heave in ways that it very much needed to. Mm-hmm. But it just felt so... Uh, you know, it just felt all intertwined to me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I, I so I I delayed putting the record out because of the pandemic and these things and added to it over time and started to change some things. And yeah, it, it went, It's uh, it's wholeheartedly about grief, but it's about grief that starts with my dad passing and morphs into grieving for the world and watching the world go through all these upheavals and... And realizing that, like, this is necessary, you know? Like, this is necessary. Death is part of life. Up- upheaval is part of growth, you
2: know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: important to hear that articulation of why the songs, so many of them, are about grieving and grieving his loss and how that um, how that sort of shifted then, too, into relationship with reality in the world is something that we all share, which I feel like is like so many access points for a listener. But I want to go back to what you said, which is that really most of the album was done before he died. And so I wonder yeah. like what held true from that time, because clearly, like you said, you worked on this album over the you know a few years after that before it came out. Um, and when did the album finally uh, release? it And we'll put all the links, obviously, in the show notes for it. But when did you finally release it
0: officially? I released it on the first of November, uh, twenty twenty three. So just a week, a little over. Yeah. A little oh ago. my god. Not, <laughs> yeah. Not, right. Not too um, That's wild. <laughs>
1: to catch you here yeah, by the he, way. I mean, god, there's so many times we could have talked and to be like we're talking a week out from that album coming to light, you know, coming to, to yeah. the public. That's pretty pretty wild.
0: It feels it feels like a good time though because I did this release show um that was not documented in any way intentionally because it, the record was about grief. There I had 100 seats and I asked everyone to turn their phones off. Uh, and there's no documentation. I put a a month of working 18 hours a day into making this theatrical performance. And I wanted it to exist as an ephemeral moment with grief in mind, because I I wanted it to only exist afterwards as the stories that we tell about it, like a person (laughs) when they die, you know, um, they become the stories that we tell, and they become exaggerated and elaborate or simplified, maybe not incredibly accurate, but that's what people become. They become our memories. Yeah. Uh, and they become what we say about them. Yeah. And
1: and by the way, that's like video important. and photos. Yeah, it's, to- it's so important. I love it. I, it's such an important part of the events that we do, especially the open mic. It is this like we're in a fragile fleeting thing that's like ending it as soon as it's begun and it's just ours. So like, how are you going to be in this place? And also, especially with the open mic, it's that imitation for it's protected. Like it is, it's ours. So how raw and open could you be here knowing it's not recorded and it's only going to be now yeah. and it's going to be gone, you know, when we leave here. But I love this idea idea too of how you connect that to the person. Uh, I've never, I'm going to talk about it tomorrow night at our open mic that you helped me kind of clarify this even more. Uh, The part of how often you go to a memorial and there's pictures of them looking really healthy, you know, or good Mm -hmm. or like their favorite smiley time of life or how videos do that. And that that shit's like less true than actually what you describe happens after someone's gone, which is like the real like person in a living conversation, memories shared, stories told, you know, moments
0: remembered. Absolutely, yeah, that's fucking um, great. Yeah, and you know, and also that that I, I love I love the idea of of existing in a moment and then letting the moment go and not not trying to preserve it, uh, like capture it to relive it, but just to live in it uh, purposefully, just that time. Um, mm-hmm. And that show for me in releasing that record. Uh, you know, there was a part of it where there was a, a figure laying in the bed that I was interacting with. And it was very much a, about my father in a lot of ways and symbolic of lots of other things too. But, um, my, when my dad died, he didn't want a funeral and he, he didn't have one. Uh, we got together the night that he died in the garage, and a few family members came over and we drank some beer for him. And there was a fist fight, uh, which was appropriate considering his life that uh, that a fist fight broke out of his little get together. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that was it, and then he was gone. Let's do all there was the no things, no...
1: anger and beer. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. But there was no, that was it. You know, it was just like yeah. a little get together in the garage. And oh, honestly, wow. the record release. Uh, you know, I'm very. I live very far away from my family. Um, it felt like. I had my own funeral for my dad Mm -hmm. and I I cried uncontrollably afterwards (laughs) uh, for a long time. And it felt like I finally got to let it go. And I love that I can't look at a picture of it and no (laughs) one can.
1: Right. right. It was what you're doing now is how it exists. It can only exist in these ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, uh, what a beautiful thing, you know? Oh, my a gosh. a beautiful thing to only have a moment for the moment that you have it, you know? <laughs> totally, totally. Which is like, uh, that's how it is, and we're
1: just constantly avoiding that. You know, it's like, it's like why yeah. we're trying to just record and capture and like, that's just fucking everything we're doing. It's why I feel like such a great way to start talking with you today is the like, what the fuck if no one listens to this? Like, what if everybody dies before they listen to us talk? Then what do we share here? You know, we, we better Obviously, have had, we had a good,
0: good recorded, <laughs> but we also better have had a, a, a fulfilling moment together. Otherwise, like, why yeah, exactly. are we doing this? Why would we do exactly. this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, of course, it's, it, it'll be great if people listen to it, but uh, I, I'll be happy to walk away and say your heart, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, the, the internet dies and uh, it's like, well, we didn't, nothing was recorded. I, I won't regret that we did this. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's a great conversation, you know? Totally time, totally. time well spent. I don't want
1: to be anywhere else. You know, that's that thing, right? It's like, I mean, I know it's life is complicated. There's places we need to be where we don't want to be. But of course. Um, I feel that so much about my work. And and maybe you relate to that with the creativity. It's like the 18 hours a day you were putting in leading up to that show is the like, I don't want to be anywhere else but here. It's hard as fuck sometimes. But like this is where I want to be. And when you have that's that cool. show, it's like that is the only place you wanted to be. Your whole being was there. Every party, yep.
0: you, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, feels... I did it only, and it felt, it felt great to put all that work into it, you know, because I did it. Compl- I had some people help me with at the show, but all the prep work, I did myself. I made all the props, I made all the costumes, I programmed all the lights, I did everything. Damn, I should have um, flown out for. I should have tried, <laughs> try to get into one of those <laughs> but, seats. <laughs> but you know, it felt great to spend all that time on that, mm. and then to let it go. Let it go. Just to put, put, have it exist for a moment and let it go. And you know, the show uh, maybe broke even. I might have lost a little bit of money on it with all the stuff that I had to buy to do it. And I don't care. I don't right. care.
2: Like I'm kind of do glad, it. honestly, because <laughs> yeah. because I know
0: in my core why I did it, and I did it, and the reason that I did it is the only reason that I did it, and it wasn't for money, and it wasn't for Instagram stories or popularity, like because it's not even a thing I can like market in the end, and thank mm-hmm. goodness it's not, <laughs> yeah, because I yeah. wouldn't That's feel so good about it, yeah, it. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's not how yeah, you like needed it. <laughs>
2: You're just imagine like a memorial making was. money.
1: I mean, like think about it that you know, thinking about it in those terms. You're like, my dad's funeral made a fucking killing. You know, it's like it just doesn't yeah. go together. <laughs> but by the way, that's a whole another conversation about the funeral industry. But um, oh yeah, I, okay. So I want to. There's so many ways to go here, but I'm going to go with the thing that I was trying to get back to earlier, which is I I want to focus on the album a little more here uh, yeah. and talk about. If you can answer that question, you know, what holds true in the album that connects to the grief of him dying or even the moment I really wanted to catch when you said like the song, the album's all about grief and I'm starting to see what you meant, how how complicated that is or how far reaching the grief is. But when you said it, it was right after you mentioned the, the story of your dad in that moment you caught on record. Right. And I'm wondering like, is that what you mean about the grief? Some of these songs hold is what he articulated in that recording, you know, moment, or is there the anticipatory grief gotta be in there too, of you knowing through that year that he was going to die. And these, these songs gave you a place to be
0: grieving before he did. Certainly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely started to grieve him, his loss while he was still alive. And that's an interesting place to be. And and this several of the songs are about that they were written about him dying before he was dead. Um, and, but you know, it's interesting with, with uh, creativity like that, like those songs, even more capture what it actually was like to go through with him dying. Even though I wrote them before I had experienced it, um, they they kind of settled in really eerily well to uh, what the experience was actually like. And you know, there's a bit of there's a bit of mourning in those songs, and there's a bit of like anger in some of them uh, at you know some of the ways that he did things. That I wish had been different, of course. Um, but it was a part of that was just acknowledging him as a whole person, and most of that stuff stayed true, and I didn't change those things because they were a and, capture and of a moment. You as a whole person too, and me as I mean, a whole person. I just person. feel like part of what you've been talking about is like the kid,
1: and and I don't mean to do you know, you know, simplify it to it being. Contained maybe the anger as an example to like when you were a child but but to know that there's these parts of us as much as you made the choice to be with your father to sit at his bedside his deathbed to take him on that trip there is also simultaneously parts of you that are wounded and angry and hurt by how he was in the world and in your life and so it feels like that piece too is like the album like we seem to be saying here there's both things happening it's like an acknowledgement for your dad in all the ways and for you in all the ways
0: absolutely and i mean i think those things are important because not because people are complex everyone or everyone is a complex being uh it would be unfair for me to try to paint my dad as a saint just because i miss him and he's dead because he was not Uh, He had some really good moments. He had some really bad moments. Um, And if I'm going to talk about him as a whole person, I'm going to talk about all of it. Um, But I I think that's how also it made sense for me that the record morphed into like this mourning of things that were happening in the world because through the process of the grief of losing my dad, I started to reflect on my own life and how parts of him made me into who I am and that affects how I see and interact with the world. And as I saw these upheavals start to happen immediately following his death, uh, it just made really perfect sense for me that like this all relates to how I exist in the world and how I am interacting with what's happening in the world right now. Um, some of it rebelling against the more like rural conservative things and looking at the world in a very different way, despite some of the, that upbringing um and yeah to me it but it was kind of the same thing it's like I started to look at the world and think like this is complex like this is not these are not simple things much like people are not simple things and like if we're going to think about the world and what's happening in it we have to look at them as complex issues and look at our own roles in these issues and look at uh you know and not just see it for you know not just see the the person that you're angry with dying on the bed, but to see like the love also, and to look at the world in the same way, you can be really, it's easy to be angry with the world for how absolutely, uh, messed up. It can be an unfair and unjust. Um, but you are a part of it and it is a part of you. Like you are who you are because of it in many ways. And I think it's just a yeah, the whole thing just caused me to look at all of these relationships that I have with my father, with the world, with, and everything in between, and try to find, try to break down the complexities of it and see uh, the ugliness and the beauty all as essential parts that I have to navigate uh, and find mm. the best way that I can contribute to them and make it to the other side, you know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of, of that process without Mm -hmm. letting it devour me, because that doesn't do any good. Nothing good comes from that. Mm -hmm. Much like grief, you can let grief devour you, but nothing good comes from that. And if, But if you face it, if you are willing to face the ugly truths of it, you can come out better in the end. It's not easy, but you can...
1: How do you know that? And I mean, like, how early? Because one of the things I was wanting to know, Andy, is like, what... You know, what was an earlier relationship to death and grief for you? How early did you, gr- do you feel like you were needing? How early were you getting these lessons?
0: Uh, I mean, I grew up in a very rural, poor place and my family had a farm. Um, the, as I got older, I would spend summers mostly there. But when you, li- when you grow up in that kind of environment, death is every day. You know, you have an inter, an intimate relationship with the process of life and death because you see animals that you are uh, tending to and caring for, and then you kill them and you eat them because that's how you eat. You know, Um, and when you see that from a young age, it, mm, I think you you have a very different idea of what it means, and and most of the modern quote unquote first world, the industrialized world ha- has lost touch with that. There was a, about a hundred years ago, everyone did this. Yeah, You had to, you yeah, had we, to have we. an intimate relationship with death. You had to, because mm-hmm. you couldn't survive without doing it. Yeah. And now you can go to the store and buy whatever you want and you don't have to be any part of the process. Mm-hmm. And you have a very different idea of what death is because you don't yeah. see it all the time. So I feel very fortunate for that upbringing in that way because, um, you know, I've had friends of mine say that uh, through my work, like your work is like death worship. And I'm like, I, no, it's not. But like, if I'm gonna sing about life, death is a huge part of it. How would it not <laughs> be in they, every other song? Exactly, like, of course, how would you know, you're not? to the choir. <laughs> how <laughs> you're would
1: you're it be preaching to the choir over here? What do they mean, do you think? Do they mean it? When they say your, your works like death worship, what, what can you read into that? You know, like what more do they say? Like, dude, like fucking get over it. Or you're obsessed or, um, yeah, it's imbalanced or, you know, it's too much of that. We need more life Uh, and joy. I
0: think, yeah, they say all the, all those things. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm just relating, but, <laughs> but I think, but I think ultimately it's because the average person in our society. Yeah. Um, doesn't want to see death and like not real mm-hmm. death. Doesn't you know, have like, to, uh, doesn't have to, would rather turn away from it. Uh, yeah. and I understand the inclination to do that, but that's how things turn into monsters that you can't, uh, you can't control anymore. Um, that's what i mean with grief like those things devour you if you do not sit with them there's a reason that people used to when someone would die the family would wash and dress the body and they would sit up with it all night there's a reason that people did that and it's because then you it gives it time to sink in because you can't ignore your dead loved one laying on the table you can't act like it's not happening you can't shy away from it it's there whether you want to face it or not. And to me, um, I understand like in our, you know, in this society that I live in, like death is taboo to a lot of people and why they would look at myself and be like, it's really dark and it's really like obsessed with death. And it's like, death is one of the biggest things we do in our lives And it happens all the time (laughs) and it's, and it happens to to everything (laughs) to be, to be fair. You know, it's
1: like, again, yeah, you're preaching to the choir, like so many ways, obviously I relate and, and all the things I gave you as examples are things people are saying to me, not just my dad. Right. It's like, well, why don't you just like maybe shift your work into stuff that's not as death related. It's like, well, no, I mean, part of why I do it is because there wasn't, enough of it ever in my life leading up to my mom's death and in the wake of her death for years, there was no acknowledgement for this fact of life. And I don't want to magnify the worth I have in the world in this moment, but I do want to say like, I was seeking that, you know, you're going to die came into being because I was like, well, if no one else is going to fucking do it, like I'm going to do it. And to be fair to what we're acknowledging, and it's what I feel about grief, right? You come into this grief release that I'll do later this afternoon. We do one every Wednesday for an hour. It's free on Zoom and people can just come and just let it out and witness it and be heard. And it's not there to be fixed. We're not trying to make it better. We're just trying to make room for it so we can like see it together, like in, in the midst of us. And the reason why sometimes it feels like a lot, and I purposely say like it's not too much, Like you can imagine people talking about your art. It's like, it's too much. It's too dark. You know, it's like, that's only because you're not making enough room for it regularly. Like these are things we can be with and need to be with. In fact, like the death worship thing is so interesting because like you said, if you don't acknowledge this stuff, it turns into a monster or like a a like angry God, uh, that thing that demands to be worshiped what we are doing is trying to balance what I feel like isn't happening enough. And our culture has made so like even just what you acknowledge growing up on a farm and how we eat our food now and get our meat. And like, we don't engage with dying and death. You had animals on your farm. I imagine the first moment like I had when I was a kid where that animal was hung up and like high take it's hide taken off and cut into the precious bits and put into the freezer like, that was a moment when I was a little kid, you know, and you
0: had that happening all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it was huge um, and terrifying. But <laughs> as <laughs> you <laughs> see it, you, it's <laughs> terrifying. terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. Yeah, totally,
1: totally, totally. But, be,
0: but because it happened over and over and I started to realize, like, this is an integral part of how we, in our, on the farm, like, how we stayed alive, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and suddenly it became like, like yeah, like, yeah, like this life. is not, yeah. this is not very pleasant. Uh, but mm. here it is, like it's not going anywhere. Um, and it's the same with the same with death to me, and also just in general, you know, like a lot of my music deals with some of the darker experiences and things. But it's the same thing. It's not because I'm trying to glorify those or like, Stu, like I'm not a very dark person because I get that stuff out, I confront it in my creative yeah. work <laughs> yeah, so that yeah. I can work through it. And so that other people also can uh, have a moment where it's like it's okay to feel this right now. And there are plenty, you know, like I have nothing against like happy, joyous songs, but there are plenty of those in the world. There are plenty of them. I, I don't need to do that.
2: <laughs> yeah I, I, I need covered. to go to the place it's a, <laughs> I
0: need to go to the place where people are hesitant to go yeah. because we need to go there more often. And if we go there more often, like you said, and like I said, uh, those things can't turn into monsters if we confront Mm -hmm. them and if we sit with them and we examine them and we're not afraid of them. You know, like we realize they are part of the complexity of what it is to be alive in the world.
2: nothing better you better make it better right now because it ain't going to get no really better yeah. you better but do you why you're on earth yeah. why you can't if you don't you're the fool
1: sorry. Uh, hi. Yes, everybody check out Andy, the door bum, all the links for Andy's new album, Andy's poetry book and spoken word album, Andy's Instagram, Andy's website. I will get you all the things in the show notes. The links are way too long to possibly articulate usefully right now. So just go into the show notes. You can find it in your app. Uh, We do a pretty good job of keeping those dialed and organized. So easy access to Andy there and gratitude to Andy for being on the show. Very meaningful to talk with you. Nick Jaina. Nick Jaina.
3: Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, I want to I want to retract something I said in this space a few weeks
2: ago. What?
3: Why is that funny? Uh, I don't know.
1: I'm just navigating a lot of feelings and things right now. So it's good to laugh. For whatever reason, I'm laughing. Uh, Thanks thanks for somehow getting me to No, I want to talk about whatever (laughs) is on your mind. And ha- right now. I want That's what I, I, I want to do. That, feel, that, by the way, connected to something I said earlier in the episode, <laughs> is that it's been really great to call people and connect and listen to them.
3: So that is what I want to say. So <laughs> please. Uh, I said something in the space a few weeks ago that I want to amend because of some life events. Um, we were talking about burial, like what, what we wish for with our bodies after we die. And I said, Mm. um, I have a dream of like walking into the forest and dying there and decomposing before people even get to me. And I had an experience last week and I know you had a similar experience and I just wanted to talk about how it changed my thinking on the subject of, um, a friend and mentor of ours in the barrier community, George, George dying, mm. George Bertelstein dying. And I, I'm sure it was his wish to have this happen. Uh, a, a vigil for three days uh, at his house uh, in the dome where they led uh, medicine ceremonies with his body there and with the with people coming over, bringing food, uh, praying over his body, his wife and daughter there. Receiving people laughing, crying, kids running around, and uh, uh, I don't know how many people came through dozens I'm sure coming through for different periods of time, some staying all day, some just whatever they could do, and it really struck me as like, oh, what happens with my body isn't just about me and just about my wishes like there's a uh, you know it took me a long time me for me personally to come around to the idea of there's a generosity in, in being known, being seen, just as a person, alive. There's a generosity in allowing people to get to know you and, and being vulnerable and not just always hiding away and, and protecting yourself. And so the first time I connected that to after death, there's a generosity in, it's just such a generous act. I kept thinking of like allowing your, or requesting your body to be there for people to pray, for people to say goodbye, to slowly let go, to still be able to kiss your forehead, to still be able to like connect with you in some way as you're moving on to this other place. And it really changed me. I mean, I'm, in, I'm, uh, uh, I don't know how long I'll live or what community I'll be a part of or what the situation is with that. But it really made me appreciate like, God, that's the way to do it. <laughs> like that's the way to be a death in a community where people can like, do whatever they need to make amends with themselves, with their loved ones, with the person, everything, you know, I I just completely changed my thinking on what I would want to happen to me after I died.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Um, It's good to revisit that because I haven't really talked about it with a ton of people. Although, you know, you were with me at the event last Thursday and who I'll tell you coming out of being with George that day and going into holding space for community, I felt like superpower levels of clarity and flow and articulation for what I hope the space could be and also how much more I want those kind of spaces and experiences in my life, you know, this ceremony of life. And getting to sit with George and weep over his body and thank him and kiss his forehead and say goodbye had such an impact on me and was absolutely something I deeply needed. I'm so grateful for Chelsea who introduced me to George in the first place that she really nudged me to come and say goodbye because George has been a counselor for me and someone who I've sat in medicine circle with. And so it was truly a, a unforgettable experience. And I'd say like you, it seems left it with, I also left with this is what I hope I can have some version of this and I don't know I'll have the privilege or the space or um you know I don't need it to be exactly how it was for George but it inspired me I think similarly right to have the where am I still making room dead <laughs> even though I'm dead how am I still making room for people to come and get what they need and that that was his life yeah that was his life. We sat and wept wept over his body and, and found joy from him when he was alive. And so all he did is give us more of that and, and his partner and, and family and community did more of that. What a thing, like I say all the time. And I think I even said it in this conversation with Andy, what we don't get, what we don't get sometimes when our, when our loved ones die, what I don't think I got with my mom that led to me doing, you're going to die was that very, um, sudden end. And then a very clipped honoring of that end the death, the cremation, the funeral, go back to work, get back to life. Mm-hmm. And this three days to have him dressed and holding a pipe and covered in flowers and being brought gifts and having people bring food. How many people were there? I didn't even expect that when I showed up. And I, I was so surprised by it. And then, of course, it makes sense, like you describe, to walk into community um, getting sustenance. And getting medicine at the same time together, I, I pray my, my, my death and the days after it and the years after it offered an altar like we got to experience, that we got to pray at, that we got to weep at. And I made noises crying and I also smiled after I was done weeping or while I was crying crying. Because I felt the gratitude and I felt the impact of him living on in me. I feel it now, and I felt it that night going into that show, and so absolutely what a thing and what a what clarity to come from that and say, "How could I not want something like this when I die?"
3: Yeah, thank you for bringing that in for bringing George in really, really good to talk about it here, and like another another aspect of it is you know. I, I sometimes hesitate to go to like a a dinner party or something because I'm like, oh, I'm too sad. I don't want to weigh anybody down with this sadness, you know, um, and to go to something where you're like, oh, all good, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like I can come in with my sadness with mm-hmm. my tears and it's like, everything has a place there mm-hmm. I'm, I know, you know, that feeling too of just like, oh uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm at home. I'm welcome. I don't have to like cover this up at all. Mm-hmm. You
2: know?
1: Yeah. I really felt that permission. And I only I only sat with Chelsea. I said hi to a couple people, gave a couple hugs. Definitely wanted to acknowledge George's partner. I definitely needed to say like sort of honor the you know, get received, I guess, by her and say goodbye, you know, and and thank you. Yeah. And I re- remember coming out of the dome after weeping over him and just sitting quietly and feeling people that I don't know come by and just sort of hold my shoulder a couple times that happened and not feel like I needed to be on. In fact, I was on, I was on what I needed to be on and it was coming out and it's exactly what I needed. I wasn't there to fucking, you know, network, (laughs) you know, or, or connect or have to talk about anything. I absolutely came and got what I needed. And I think so then gave what I needed. I feel like my weeping was an offering, not just to George, but to people that were witnessing it, mm-hmm. that that next level of permission. Like I think about the open mics, like the first person who comes forth and opens and is vulnerable is the invitation to the next person. So that we were a part of that for those three days that I got to be a part of that. Yeah, really tremendous. So meaningful. Thanks, Nick. Good to talk to you about that. Yeah. I'm really glad you got to go do that.
2: Yeah.
1: Thank you for listening, everybody. Grateful to be here in ceremony, in your ear, at the altar of your ear. Really, I'm sort of joking, but also not. What a meaningful thing to share like a moment with Nick like this, like a conversation with Andy about these things that matter so much in life. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, bye-bye.